turn this evening to the Word of God at Numbers 23 and 24. I'm going to consider that part of the narrative of the history of Balaam and Balak as they sought together to curse Israel and to prevent her, therefore, from being the people of God and then entering into the promised land. And we want to take up the narrative and speak of the prophecies tonight or the oracles or parables or sayings that Balaam was led to make. There are at least four of them. Others find maybe seven. But we want to deal with the parables or oracles that pertain especially to Israel. So we're going to read from those oracles beginning at chapter 23, verses 7 through 10. And then we'll read through parts of 24 that are the oracles as well. So Numbers 23, remember the setting, Balak, Balaam and Balak are seeking to, especially Balak is seeking to prevent Israel from being uh, a formidable foe to the Moabites. And so Balaam sought, or Balak sought Balaam to curse Israel. Balaam had, uh, was led in another way by God, who was compelling him not to curse but to bless. So verse 7, and he took up his oracle and said, Balak, the king of Moab, has brought me from Aram, from the mountains of the east. Come curse Jacob for me and come denounce Israel. How shall I curse whom God has not cursed? How shall I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? For from the top of the rocks I see him, and from the hills I behold him. There, a people dwelling alone, not reckoning itself among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob, or number one-fourth of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous, and let my end be like his. So that's the first oracle. And go now to verse 18 through verses 22 for the second oracle. Balak um, was asked uh, Balaam, now what has the Lord spoken after they had offered other offerings and tried, did Balak in various ways uh, to have Balaam be persuaded that he ought to curse Israel. So Balaam then took up his oracle and said, Rise up, Balak, and hear. Listen to me, son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? Behold, I have received a command to bless. He has blessed, and I cannot reverse it. He has not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. The Lord his God is with him, and the shout of a king is among them. God brings them out of Egypt. He has strength like a wild ox, for there is no sorcery against Jacob, nor any divination against Israel. It now must be said of Jacob and of Israel, Oh, what God has done! Look, a people rises like a lioness and lifts itself up like a lion. It shall not lie down until it devours the prey. 
and drinks the blood of the slain. So there's the second oracle, and we want to turn now to oracle number three in Numbers 24. Try to explain all of this as we go along here. But Numbers 24 recurs, uh, 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 records the third and fourth oracles. Verses 3 through 9. Then he took up his oracle and said, The utterance of Balaam, the son of Beor, the utterance of the man whose eyes are opened, the utterance of him who hears the words of God, who sees the vision of the Almighty, who falls down with eyes wide open. How lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your dwellings, O Israel, like valleys that stretch out, like gardens by the riverside, like aloes planted by the Lord, like cedars besides the waters. He shall pour water from his buckets, and his seed shall be in many waters. His king shall be higher than Agag, and his kingdom shall be exalted. God brings him out of Egypt. He has strength like a wild ox. He shall consume the nations, his enemies. He shall break their bones and pierce them with his arrows. He bows down, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion who shall rouse him. Blessed is he who blesses you, and cursed is he who curses you. That's the third prophecy or oracle, and the fourth is found in verses 15 through 19. So Balaam took up his oracle and said, The utterance of Balaam, the son of Beor, and the utterance of the man whose eyes are opened, the utterance of him who hears the words of God and has the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty, who falls down with eyes wide open. I see him now, or I see him but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel and batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of Tumult. And Edom shall be a possession. Seir also his enemies shall be a possession, while Israel does valiantly. And of Jacob one shall have dominion and destroy the remains of the city. And that's as far as we'll read the other uh, parts of the oracle, maybe other separate oracles we can say concern the, uh, the destiny of the enemies of the people of God, and we can be sure that Israel triumphs over them, as is the, the general gist of the whole history here. Israel is dominant. Remember the setting, beloved. Remember the setting as we consider these oracles of Balaam. The setting is that Israel is about to enter the promised land. She's on the coast of the promised land by the Jordan River across from Jericho. And she has conquered Zog, king of uh, Bashan, and, or Sion, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan. Great kings. Now Balak, the king of Moab, is shaking in his boots, as it were, realizing that he cannot withstand Israel, at least while she knows the blessing of God. There's something about Israel that Balak fears, and surely it is Israel's God. So Balak, the king of Moab, seeks help from a strange person called a sorcerer or diviner, someone who works in occult powers calling on devils to do his bidding. And in this case, 
Balaam is seen to be a cursor of men and nations, taking um, power from hell itself and somehow uh, um, decapitating nations and destroying their head and their strength so that they are a pushover for other nations. Now, is this real? We've visited that subject in our first sermon on Balaam. Is this power of Balaam to curse or to bless real? We're not sure. That is, does it have effect really upon kings, or is it just a psychological effect does this blessing or cursing have? Or is it really from the demons that Balaam gets his power to curse on behalf of the devil? Be that as it may, we know that his divination is, is terrible. It's a terrible sin because in seeking to curse and to bless, Balaam is seeking to be as God. For God is the only one who can bless or curse. He's the one who is the standard and his law is the standard. And we have to do with God. Let everyone take that into account here in this church and everyone who may hear. We have to do with God, not merely with demons, but with God, almighty God. And so, uh, really, this whole event here, this whole history is Balaam, not just against Israel, but Balaam against God. And Balak, the king, and Balaam, the magician, a religious sort of person, are combining, really, as a kind of antichrist before the end of time when there will be a religious and political entity called the Antichrist on behalf of the devil who seeks to curse the people of God and to curse God himself. So it's some sort of force that is real, more or less, that is facing Israel here. We dare say that it is so powerful here and this event is so powerful, this history, that if it's the case that Israel is cursed, that God maybe changes his mind, indeed it's death for Israel and it's death for God. There's something here, the meeting of the moment, which is the meeting of eternity with time. It's something here that has to do with all of history, God against the demons, and God against the demons who would overrun the people of God, but then it's the people of God against those demons. But here, interestingly, in this history, Numbers 23 and 4, and Numbers 22, we're not told that Israel knows a thing about it. We're not told that Israel knows anything that's going on here. Later on, they'll become involved with Balaam as they fall to his, his temptations. But now, it's as if this is all occurring on a mountain somewhere, and it is, to the, in the ignorance of Israel. And I want to make application here. In this worship service, you know what's going on? What we can hear is the Word of God. What we need to hear and to believe is that God is with us, but there's all kinds of unseen powers here, angelic or demonic. There's principalities and powers that are just hovering around and, and eager to snatch the word from little children's ears and hearts and from all of our hearts so that we resist what God says and we are not blessed but in fact cursed as we reject the word of God. 
It's an awesome thing to be in the church. It's an awesome thing, and it's a battleground, and you can't keep the devils out, beloved. But a good thing it is that we can't keep, that we won't keep God out either. So we want to consider at this crucial moment of Israel's history, something that's also crucial for us to consider in our day, these oracles of Balaam. For it turns out, these are things that are true. Amazing. One point even, in one of the oracles, it says that the Spirit of God is upon Balaam, a magician, a wicked man, to move him to say precisely what God would have him say. Amazing this is. Truth coming out of a reprobate, a tempter of Israel, and one who attempts to curse the people of God. But here is truth for us, and here is comfort for us. For if Balaam cannot curse Israel, nobody can. If the devil cannot curse Israel, nobody can. If God will not curse Israel, nobody can. If God be for us, who can be against us? That's the truth of the gospel here. So let's consider the prophecies. I want to tell you that I'm being humble here. That is, not believing for a moment that I can do justice to all of these oracles. There's a sermon that one could make out of each of the oracles, each of the concepts of the oracles. We could be here way beyond Christmas and into the next 10 Christmases, preaching on these wonderful oracles or prophecies of Balaam. So we're going to be uh, those who are scanning tonight, but those who would apply these things to Jesus Christ and his church. So we want to consider the oracles of blessing, and then we want to consider how Jesus Christ is the center of the blessing and the center of the oracles, and then finally what this means for the church. What I'm going to do is simply to go through the oracles with you and make some comments and then summarize these things and speak to you of the gospel of Christ in them. The first oracle, Numbers 23, 7 through 10, there is this repetition of the fact that <clears throat> Balaam cannot curse whom God has not cursed. That's verse 8. Cannot denounce whom God has not denounced. In other words, he cannot go against the word and the will of God. And so Balaam sees from the top of the rocks, it's like he's in a vision in a trance, he sees from the hills, looks at the people down in the valley, and he beholds Israel not cursed, but blessed, not renounced, but taken into the fellowship of God and kept there, sinful Israel, he beholds them as a people dwelling alone, not reckoning itself among the nations, verse 9, as different. Now right there, we have Balaam seeing something that we ought to see and know of the church of Christ, of God's good pleasure. We are a peculiar people. Israel was a peculiar people. I'm not talking about the Israel today, the physical Jews, the physical sons of Abraham, but the Israel of the Bible, the true elect people of God. 
the apple of the eye of God, the chosen ones given to Jesus before the foundation of the world and for him to die for and live for, this people called the church, now of the Old Testament, is said to be different. There are people dwelling alone. And it's not just the fact that they have a DNA of Abraham or that they're simply outside in the woods somewhere, maybe in monasteries, but it's the status that they have. The status, as we learn in verse 10, by Balaam himself longing to be as Israel, when he says, let me die the death of the righteous, that my end be like his, the status of Israel is righteous. They are right with God. That's, that's an amazing thing. God himself cannot curse them and will not because he regards them as righteous, right with him. When you consider all of the nations round about and that the Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one, when Israel is said to be righteous in his death and in his life, there's something remarkable about this, something of grace. This is the peculiar thing that is the great and blessed, blessed thing indeed. And so it is that we go on here. This is the first prophecy, and that's just about all I'm going to say of that in general. Balak isn't very happy with that. He says, what have you done to me? I took you to curse my enemies. And look at this in verse 11. Look, he says, Balak, you have blessed them, my enemies, bountifully. Now, that word bountifully has to catch our eye, and there's certain phrases here that keep catching my eye as I'm working through this and presenting a sermon out of it. Balak says the truth, too. God is speaking the truth through all kinds of people and even through donkeys in this narrative. Isn't that amazing? Balak says, you've blessed them bountifully. And he's right. He's right on, man. You've blessed them bountifully. Literally, the Hebrew as you've blessed them blessedly. You've blessed, blessed them. They're blessed squared. They're blessed exponentially. They're blessed beyond what you can do by mere addition. They are so blessed. that this must be of heaven. King James, or a more literal account of the Hebrews, says you bless them all together. You bless them all together. That is, entirely and completely. There's not one bit of them that's not blessed, not part of the people that's not so sinless as the other part. They're all blessed. They're all blessed. These people of God that go by the name of Israel, they are blessed with blessings from heaven. Oracle number two. Oracle number two. The sureness of the blessing is brought out here in Numbers 23 and verse 18 and 19 and so on. And the sureness is a theological reason for sureness. That is that God won't change his mind about Israel. God's not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. And note this, ties in with what we heard this morning. God has said something. He has said, and will he not do? He's spoken, God, and will he not make it good? 
Behold, I've received a command, another word, to bless, and he has blessed, and I cannot observe, re- reverse it. The word of God here, what God says, stands. That's because what God is will ever be God. He is always God. Having to deal here with a blessing that's from heaven and a blessing that is from heaven that is unchangeable in its blessedness and in its word. And then there's this, God has a certain way that he, he looks at Israel. Verse 21, he's not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. This is, beloved, this amazing thing of God regarding Israel as righteous. He doesn't see any sin in them. Amazing. And when uh, Balak is trying to engage in strategy with with Balaam and say, well, now you come and you look at this, just this part of Israel, this little part, or maybe this mixed multitude here that really is just along for the ride. They're part Egyptian and maybe part Israelite. And maybe we'll see, or God will see something bad about them. And as you're observing them, surely God will have to agree with you. Yes, they're not so righteous. I'll just cancel them. No, he's not observed iniquity anywhere in Jacob. Nor has he seen wickedness anywhere in Israel. And here's the reason. The Lord is with him. And the shout of a king. There's speech of God again. Loud speech. The shout of a king is among them. By that word, he goes on to say, God has brought them out of Egypt. And he has given them strength like a wild ox. Amazing. And here in verse 23, and again, I, I'm just rushing through this. I, you'll have to bear with me and think about these things deeply and for more time later. He says here in verse 23 of Numbers 23, there's no sorcery against Jacob, nor any divination against Israel. And you see, what he's saying here is not that there is no attempt to do anything against Israel, But what he's saying is, all of the attempts, all of the arrows at the castle that is Israel, they hit the wall and they drop. Nothing of any effect. That's what he's saying. You may have something against my people, but God has everything for them. He is with them. They are his. He identifies with them and they with him. They are in his fellowship. They are the apple of his eye. They are his family. They are taken into Trinitarian society life. They are his nobility and his representatives on the earth. Nothing can prevail against them. Amazing. Not even the gates of hell. So there's, again, how God is saying here through this oracle something of himself, something of the wonderful, amazing blessing that he gives the blessed bounty from heaven. And even says, too, that there's not only anything, nothing against Jacob and Israel, but there's a people that they're made uh, like a lion, and they are themselves become the devourers of the prey, even of the ones who sought their lives, and they drink the blood of the slain. They are the ones who are the king. That, that is, they are the... the uh, 
the, the ones who conquer everything in their past. But now, back to verse 23. You have another phrase here. Of Israel, now it, it, it now must be said of Jacob and of Israel, oh, what God has done in the middle of this all. Again, there's like these flashes from heaven. Balak is compelled to say, you've blessed them, truly blessed them, blessed them squared, blessed them exponentially. God is with them. The shout of the king is among them. He's not observed iniquity in Jacob nor seen perverseness in Israel. And now it must be said of Jacob, here's another lightning bolt of truth from heaven. Of Israel, it must be said, and of Jacob, oh, what God has done. I submit to you, beloved, that that's one of the greatest things that could be said of us. Oh, what God has done at Sovereign Grace Church. It's been 12 years since our institution as a church. 12 years. Can we say, oh, what God has done? It's been three months since your marriage, or 33 years, or 20, 15, whatever, with children without. It's been 45 years of your existence as a single man, 20 years as a single woman, whatever. Can it be said of you, as it was said of Israel, oh, what God has done. And, and I want to remind you that this was a people that was scarred. This was the second generation of Israel. The first, the parents had blown it. They hadn't kept the ordinances of God. In all the time of the wilderness wandering, they're complaining. Yip, 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 yip. Oh, Moses and Aaron, why'd you bring us into this wilderness? Why don't we go back to Egypt? It's a much better place as the world. And the worship services that you hold, Moses, they're rather dull. And this manna, how bleakly boring and tasteless. And of them... Balaam prophesied the truth, oh, what God has done among them. Here's a second generation. They've just shown in their rebellion against Moses, and he strikes the rock, in their seeking more of the leeks of, garl and, and of, uh, of Egypt and so on, and God sends serpents upon them. They've just shown that they're just no better. It's repeat, 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 sin, sin, sin. Worldliness, worldliness, worldliness. Lack of enthusiasm, indeed. Inconsistency. Can't get up in the morning. Can't get up at night. Have no focus. More interested in entertainment than in serious Christianity. We would apply it to our lives. And can it be said, no, let's even put it this way, it is still said, oh, what God has done. Amazing. 
The focus in the oracles is on God. And the fact that Israel is justified by God and sanctified by God and given strength for the battle so that they're like oxen before the enemy and they're like lions before the prey. And that God is with them means no one can be against them and that they are more than conquerors in him. Third prophecy, we read Numbers 24, 33 through 9. Balaam is called to go on and on. And he says in verse 5, How lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your dwellings, O Israel. And then he describes their, their prosperity, like valleys that stretch out, gardens by the riverside. This is all a picture of how the Old Testament describes men and women who are blessed of God. Look at Psalm 1. Planted by the riverside of grace, like cedars besides the waters, mighty and firm, like aloes, healing plants planted by the Lord. And their buckets of mercies poured down upon them and prosperity on other side. And then there's this king, here's this king that comes in. The shout of a king, remember, we've said is among them, but this king, it said, shall be higher than Agag, and his kingdom shall be exalted, speaking of the Christ, as we see, and then rehearsing again their deliverance from Egypt, their strength before the nations now that they are delivered, they're sanctified. Go to the last prophecy, beloved, and we find in the fourth oracle of Numbers 24, 15 and following, the utterance of this, this magician sort of prophet, who says, I see him, but not now. And he's speaking of the one to come. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel and batter the brow of Moab. Oh, beloved, I've run through these passages and these oracles. Now I want to speak of how this is all about blessing in Jesus. In our last moments of this sermon, it'll be about blessings in Jesus and how we are the blessed ones in Jesus. Well, you know, all blessing is in Jesus. I'll repeat that. All blessing is in Jesus. If a person is to be blessed, well spoken of by God, that's what blessing means, they have to have an advocate, a mediator, Jesus. And the reason is because God has appointed this to be the way of blessing. So, for example, the reason there's no cursing in Israel is because of Jesus. The very first thing that is settled before the oracles even, there can be no cursing in Israel, only blessing, points us to Jesus who himself took the curse upon himself, our curse, the wrath of God, the punishment that we deserved. Cursing is this, God pushing out of his presence sinners because they're unrighteous, they're guilty, they're unrepentant. Well, Jesus, we know, took the place. Children, you know that on the cross is a great substitute, a lamb in our place, a living lamb the Word made flesh become 
a lamb as well as a human. A lamb, a sacrifice, a propitiatory sacrifice who hangs on the cross and he's pushed out of the presence of God that we might never be. And he is considered and is the sin bearer that we might never be forsaken of God and never ever cursed, therefore. Even in our worst days, and even, even though we still sin, the blood of Jesus avails for our sin. It avails for me, you too. This is the reason there's no, bless, there's no cursing for Israel. No cursing for that people that goes by the name of Israel, not only, but that really is Israel. Let's get this straight here. When the Bible speaks of Israel, it speaks of the true Israel. It speaks of a people that goes by the name of Israel. But the real children of God are not the physical seed of Abraham. Romans 9 says this, that they are the, the true people of God, the elect among Israel. This is what God is seeing there. And for the sake of that chosen people of God among all the nasties, and they're all sinful, but nevertheless, God has his own among them. And even in the church, they are Christ's, who are given to Jesus to die for and to live for. And so Israel dwells alone because Israel is chosen in Christ. That's the election of grace, championed by the Reformed faith. This is all the will of God the choosing of God and not of men and sinners. Jesus Christ is our righteousness, the positive thing. He's not only the one who bears our curse, but he is our righteousness. He's made unto us wisdom and righteousness and redemption, 1 Corinthians 1. He's our strength in the battle. He pours out his Holy Spirit so that Israel conquers its enemies and ultimately enters into the promised land. And those blessednesses, beloved, the blessed blessing, the blessings squared of which Balak spoke, they are ours in Jesus. First Peter says, blessed be God who's blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Heap upon heap of blessing, something to think about when we think of the gift of Christmas, not our gifts but God gives, God's gift to us. Jesus, Jesus, your life, your light, your love, your hope, blessed in him in all our years. And so we're spiritually blessed, and this is unchanging because God is unchanging, and he shows himself to be the righteous God who is not a man that he will lie or repent because exactly he is the goddess, if we can say that, most consistent with whom he is, revealing who he is on the cross of Calvary. There's righteousness, there's mercy, there's blessing for those who don't deserve it. And Balaam's oracles are all about that. You think, for example, of that last oracle, in which he says, the star shall come out of Jacob, the scepter shall rise out of Israel, referring to prophecy that is made through Jacob, a scepter that rises out of Judah, and so on, the king. 
The star is a reference to the morning star that Jesus is who guides in the, in the late night and is there until the sun comes and, and Jesus is that son of righteousness as well, but he's the star. He's our star, beloved. Not somebody from Hollywood, but from somebody from heaven is your star. Not somebody who's a superhero, hero, but someone who's a super god who is nevertheless with us. Humble to death for our sake. This one rises out of Jacob, rises out of Israel, comes from the mind of God among the people of God's good pleasure. Well, beloved, that makes Christmas a guarantee. We're on the other side of the fulfillment of these prophecies, at least the beginning of the fulfillment of them. We can boldly say, yes, all of these prophecies are fulfilled. Israel is and remains the people of God, the church, the people of God's good pleasure. We remain that, beloved, to this day. And there is nothing that can lay any charge against us, not a Balaam, not a Balak, not, not yourself, not the devil, because God has said, you're mine and you're righteous and I love my son and therefore I love you and he's going to have the preeminence in keeping you for his own sake so that you enter the promised land and it will always be said of you, look what God has done. Look what God has done at sovereign grace. Look what God is doing in your life. Look what God has done and shall do. Look what God has done in the fullness of time in Jesus. Look what God has done. And fear not, you men, you mere men, you mere women. Fear not, you sinners. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Wise men worship the king. God's people, wise men and women and children, come worship the king. Wise men and women and children, believe not what devils say. That is, believe not that there's charges that can be laid against them. But they hold on to what God has said, even through devils, the truth as it is in Jesus. What God says of Israel, he's saying of us. Believe that, go in peace, and be comforted. I say that's maybe the ultimate takeaway of this sermon on Balaam's oracles. The great comfort of the fulfillment of all of these things in Jesus. You have that? Are you wrestling with sin? Wrestling with your own charges of guilt against yourself that hamstrings you for carrying on, getting depressed with yourself, with what other people say of you? Beloved, remember what God says of you. You're there in the plains of Moab, just about to take the promised land. And who knows when that will be? Who knows when it will be that we go to heaven? 
But remember, right now and always, the shout of the king is among us. Jesus is God with us. The word has become flesh and dwelt among us. We behold his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, and of his fullness. We've all received nothing to fear. No emptiness can take away from the fullness. We're blessed squared exponentially. And that means even in the hardest times. Congregation, you are blessed. It's said of you, look what God has done. Look what God does to us. He loves us, and he will never, ever leave us. God has spoken, even through a demon. And he spokes, and he, and he speaks even through yours truly, the word of God. Blessing for Israel on this side of glory and in glory itself. Amen. We pray, Father, that you will truly bless us. Having heard the oracles of a diviner, of a blasphemer, but of you through him, let us truly hear and take it to heart. You said we are blessed, Lord. We believe that. You said we are righteous. You said the shout of the king is among us. You said there's a star that rises and, and a scepter that comes out of Jacob. And he's come. It's true. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. He's our God. Your speech to us of just how much you are God and how much you love us and that you move heaven and earth and demons and donkeys and all besides that we might be forever blessed. Oh, may we go in praise and in peace and may truth propel us to piety this week to an otherworldliness in this world. Keep us, Lord, with heads held high, full of hope, full of joy, full of anticipation. The God who's come once in humiliation will come soon in glory. He'll come for us and to take us home. Amen.